This is the Police Canine Training Podcast with Jeff Meyer. Join us for each episode to get real-world advice from canine professionals who have experience on the street. Each episode will focus on up-to-date information that you can use on the street. Spend about 30 minutes with us each week as part of your training day. Our goal at Police Canine Training is to make every canine team be the best they can be. Welcome to the Police Canine Training Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have a friend of mine, Mike Ritlin, on. Mike's taking some time out of his uh, busy schedule to come here on uh, this new podcast that I'm doing. I've had him on my old podcast quite a few times, and uh, I always like uh, talking to Mike because he's got a really wide amount of experience and all different from uh dog training to just the industry. He's got his dog food company, he trains dogs, he's got his Warrior Dog Foundation. So he's got a lot of different irons in the fire, but all that knowledge that he uh, has is, is real fun to kind of talk to him about. So I got him back on here today. So uh, Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jeff. I appreciate you uh, having me back on and uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting. Absolutely. And for those of you who don't know Mike, I'll just give him a couple minutes to kind of give his background. Yeah, so uh, I'm already spent uh, 12 years in the SEAL teams right out of high school. Um, did a, a few different deployments with SEAL Team 3. Um, I was in from 96 to 08, which was a pretty uh, busy and exciting time to, to be in. Uh, as I transitioned out, uh, I started my own dog company uh, in 2009. Came back as uh, the trainer for the West Coast SEAL multi-purpose canine uh, program, uh, as well as held the contract for a few years uh, under my company. At that same time, I founded the Warrior Dog Foundation to retire former military working dogs, special operations dogs, police service dogs, and really any, any uh, you know, certified service dog for uh, the United States government, whether it's local, state, federal, sure. Department of Defense, etc. Uh, a few years after that, uh, or I guess as as I was transitioning out of the, the trainer position uh, and, and owning that contract, I uh, had a 60 minutes piece done and, and released a book called Trident Canine Warriors uh, at, at about the same time. Uh, and then released a few few other books, Navy Seal Dogs, Team Dog, and then uh, my latest one, which is non-dog related, uh, called Unfuck America. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, a few years after that started an online training program, which is teamdog.pet. Uh, a couple of years after that, I started uh, team dog, dog food, which is, uh, a few different blends of dog food, treats and supplements. And, uh, also around that same time started the mic drop podcast, uh, which, you know, is interviewing a lot of former yeah. military and police. Um, and, and as I sit here today, I, I kind of am still doing all of those things um, that I've started, uh, you know, business stream wise, uh, as well as selling personal protection dogs and just kind of overseeing everything. So um, that's it in a nutshell. Sure. What I, what I kind of wanted to talk to Mike about today was about tactics and people that uh, know me uh, in the classes I teach, when I do e-collar classes, one of the things I like to stress is having a strong, solid real verbal release one that you can use on the street and that's kind of the basics of a lot of the tactics that that i teach and i see around the country a lot of places uh, that aren't stressing having the verbal release and one of the things i keep hearing about as well in the military teams this and that that they don't have a verbal release so i thought mike i'd talk to you today about some of the tactics that you were training with the navy seals 
and how those will relate to what we do in, in uh, you know, U.S. law enforcement. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll just start there and I'll just throw you the mic and let you kind of talk about the, the overall general tactics that you guys, you know, would teach those dogs, the, the critical skills, if you will. Sure. Uh, I, I want to caveat my comments with a couple of quick points, which is number one, keep in mind, it's been 10 years since I was out on the West Coast as, as a trainer. Sure. So um, that's number one. Number two is that, you know, every unit employs different trainers from different companies and have different methodologies, both wherever the trainers are, as well as the handlers and kind of what they, uh, you know, change their protocols sure. based on, on real world lessons learned, you know, what's, what's applicable, what's not. And obviously that's going to vary uh, pretty dramatically in some cases from department to department, military unit to military sure. unit, operational environment, et cetera. Uh, I just want to preface that because I think that that uh, is important context. Uh, having said that, uh, I also think that, you know, taking the mentality of like, I'm never going to do something, so I'm not going to train it, or I, I can't see a scenario where I would need to do that and, and not training it to me seems like a bad idea. Um, now, obviously, if it's something that's totally irrelevant, a, sure. a, a trick or, you know, a, a non-training methodology that's that's used frequently, I'm, I'm not talking about that. In this case, you know, a verbal out to me is, is something, even if you never plan on having to use it or tactically, it's not something that you would employ. I, I would just, you know, maybe push back and say, why not still be able to do it? Even, even if you're not not going to use it or you don't see yourself using it you know to me i'd rather have that as as a capable know what situation you might run into where where you need to do that what sure. if there's a million what ifs you know what if you get shot in your arm and you can't take the dog off strong or i mean there, there's a lot of different factors yeah. that, that could contribute to saying may, maybe taking the dog off strong and not saying anything it isn't something that will work or it's in a, in a piece of duct work where you can't reach the dog. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of different scenarios where I can see that, that not being a, uh, a dependable way of, of getting the dog to let go and, and come back to you. And so, uh, you know, to me, just based off of that, it, it seems like a good idea to train it. Uh, sure. and, and one where I would say, I think it's important now speaking to my experience. Yes. All, all of the dogs, you know, when I was out there and, and, while my company, uh, you know, owned the contract for the dogs out there, having a verbal out was, was part of that program. Uh, I have no idea if, if they're still adhering to that or not. Um, but, you know, we, we did. And, and I think a couple of things uh, stick out, which is, again, to reiterate, why not be able to do that? Number two uh, is, is having as many options to get the dog to, to release and come back as possible, I think just makes sense is again, you, you may run into a lot of different scenarios. You're going to run into a lot of having a good verbal out is important. Having a, a remote collar only out, um, you know, and, and come back, uh, I think is important also, uh, or, or something that, that you should at least consider adding into the repertoire. Uh, also knowing and understanding how to take your dog off strong to me, I would want my dog to know all three of sure. those things is, is, Absolutely. is, you know, having the, having the dog have experience with all three of those mechanisms for outing, I think just makes good sense. Now where I will say, uh, at least from my experience where I hear a, a lot of pushback on the verbal out is, is just frankly, guys don't want to put the time in to do it, you know, or it's all my dog's different. 
you know, this, yeah. he's a fucking, he's a killer, he's yeah. a monster. You're, you're not going to get him to let go type thing. And, and I just, you know, I think it's unfortunate because I think it's an excuse to not put the time in. I'm not saying it's easy because it's not, it's, it's difficult and, and it takes a lot of work, a lot of dedication, and most importantly, a ton of consistency uh, where you're not emotional. You're very clear headed on how you're communicating to the dog, um, you know, and, and you're, you're working through that whole process to, to get to that point where you can have a nice clean verbal out. But uh, so that's, um, you know, from my experience, kind of what, what I see across the board. And I, I like that you touched on, cause I hear that too, is that, you know, like I had uh, one person that we were teaching a seminar and the handler did uh, air quotes and said, you know, yeah, I have a quote verbal out, but of course we know dogs would never do it on the street. And I said, well, dogs do it on the street and, and i'm sure obviously you know we'll talk about what they did overseas too but that i that's one of the more common ones is maybe uh, people who don't put the work in they say their dog is too strong for a verbal out now i know you were using obviously by necessity very strong but clear-headed dogs too um was there was there any dogs that you would send over overseas with a team that didn't have a strong verbal out in their training no, not, not while I was there, yeah. no. Uh, you know, to me, and, and for us kind of internally, we had a lot of autonomy, uh, and I'm very thankful for that. And, and the, you know, in terms of quote-unquote certification, it was basically up to us, yeah. uh, you know, kind of what, what we deemed the dog needed to be able to do. And, and just, again, internally, you know, our standard was the dog needs to be able to do that. Um, you know, and so it was just part of the program and, and we worked with all the dogs. We also, in that same autonomy piece, we had a lot of flexibility in terms of timeline too. And, sure. and you know, I'm not naive to the fact that, that a lot of departments, I'd say even most don't have either of those things, you know, yeah. they're, they're very regimented on what their standard is and they have no input and they've got a chief, you know, that's breathing down their neck saying, Hey, I want that fucking dog out yeah. on the street in six weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and they're doing the best they can with what they have. Sure. And, and a lot of it isn't up to them. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not naive to that. I get that. That's, that's a lot of people's situation. We were very fortunate to not have either of those. And so, you know, if it took us 18 months to get the dog ready to, to be able to be deployed, then that's what it took, you know? And, and again, I can't speak to if that's how it still is now. Yeah, uh, yeah. But while we were there uh, building the program, you know, we, we had a few extra dogs in the pipeline and, and had some, some flexibility and, and leadership that would, that would go to bat and say, Hey, this fucking dog isn't ready or we're, you know, yeah. you can't, can't do it or, or whatever. And, uh, and, and that worked for us, you know, so. But overall, I, I overall those, it, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't 18 months for most of the dogs to, to achieve the critical, critical skills that you wanted. No, it was, it was closer to a year. Um, yeah. It was still, still a long time, but we, you know, we also had a kind of a, a very different pipeline that way. You know, we would buy the dogs pretty young, uh, you know, 18 months or so and, and spend a year, year and a half with them before they were deployed in most cases, yeah. you know, or, or better part of a year in, in most cases. So um, again, we, we had the ability to kind of pre-plan and say, okay, sure. if, if our commitments for defense are X, then we're going to work backwards and, and why means that we need this many dogs at this point, you know, throughout, yeah. throughout the process and, and what have you. So, and that was um, for a dual purpose dog. They were, were they all, uh, when you were there, were they yeah. all bomb and patrol dogs? Correct. Yeah. So that probably, I mean, that alone, when you're looking for 
that type of stability because I've talked to you about it before, but um, it, it wouldn't be uncommon that on the deployment that the dog would have to, on their own, switch from being a bomb dog to a patrol dog back and forth. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, usually it's it's bomb dog, patrol dog, back to bomb dog, you know, infiltration, time on target, exfiltration. Uh, and so it's, you know, the dog's wound up, you know, but you can keep them between the lanes for, uh, you know, for explosive detection. But then you've got, uh, you know, time on target. Now the dog turns into a patrol dog if he does end up buying somebody trying to get him to switch back to, uh, you know, to that. Uh, or, yeah. I'm sorry, the explosive detector dog after all of that uh, is tricky, but, you know, it's something we did in, in training pipelines also. I, I ran some courses uh, even at, at my kennel facility doing that where we would set up uh, ammonium nitrate uh, buckets uh, for IEDs under culverts or gravel roads, uh, you know, doing a sweep, and then we would hit a target. Excuse me, have the, have the handlers and operators hit a target where they have a bite work scenario and then transition back to patrolling a different road on the way yeah. out and, and, uh, and what so, so obviously that, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why the, the, the you know, the uh, training time was probably longer than it is typically here for, for us. Cause a lot of our dogs, you know, when we can do kind of a, a pre-stem to let them know now we're doing a bomb search. Luckily, at least my experience has been, we're not finding a lot of booby traps here. So, a, yeah. a patrol dog that's a bomb dog doesn't have to always be on alert for for a booby trap and everything else so sure um, well and, and but well an, another factor to consider too is you know on the military side when when guys deploy they're on their own for months at a time yeah you know, and, and and they may not be able to do any sustainment training or you know compared to what it is back you know yeah. back at the command very little you know you're throwing yeah. a a fellow, a fellow operator in a suit that doesn't know what he's doing, or, you know, you're running your own detection scenarios, yeah. you know? So, you know, from my, my perspective, like the dog's got to be pretty, pretty fucking dialed in yeah. when, when they leave because there, there is no shit. We need to work on that or fix yeah. that or, okay, well, lesson learned. We'll come back and, and work that out over the next few weeks. Like you're, you're your own guy for a while. Yeah. So I guess what I'd like to do is maybe pick your brain a little bit, you know, obviously I think, people would, would understand and, and know that the dogs that you were deploying were, were very good, strong dogs. And they had, you know, like I said, the critical skills, you know, uh, mainly what we're talking about today, verbal release. What was your training progression to get a, a dog to have a strong verbal release? Yeah, so to me, the, there's one kind of key principle that, that really enables you to do that. Uh, and it's, a combination of putting yourself in the dog's shoes and, and communicating to them that just because letting them, just because they let go of, of, you know, the decoy yeah. doesn't mean that the game is over. Yeah. You know, if I had to pinpoint one, one tactic or, or one kind of technique to, to just always think of, especially early on is that, is that you're, you know, you're, you're communicating that, Hey, if you let go, I'm going to give you another grip and, and the game's going to continue and it's not over. So, so that you're not creating this super possessive, uh, you know, dog that, that now, you know, is. Yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, I didn't lose my train of thought. There was a, a, call, a call coming in that I thought we dropped the call anyway. Oh. Uh, you know, so the, um, and, and the key with that is, is actually really simple is that, you know, the, the decoy, plays the biggest role in all of this. And this is where I see a lot of departments, frankly, um, make mistakes 
is that they're, you know, all of their decoys are the new guys. They're yeah. you know, the, the new guy on patrol that, you know, hey, let's feed him up in the suit or yeah. uh, doing a bunch of flea bites or, you know, guys that have no concept of what you're trying to teach the dog. Um, you know, being, being the guys in suits that are that are doing it, and, and to me, it's no different than uh, than jujitsu. Really, it's it's like, you know, if, if you're learning jujitsu and you're going against somebody else that has no idea what they're doing, uh, it's going to be difficult for you to to get better. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you go with a high level black belt that knows exactly what he's trying to do to elicit certain responses from you to get get you to do something or to not get you to do something, then that that's when you learn really, really quickly. Uh, and it's the exact same way with a dog is that that decoy needs to understand aggression, dog psychology, dog behavior has to have intimate knowledge of where that dog is at in the pipeline, what its background is. You know, all, all of those factors play a huge role in your ability to, to get that dog groom and condition it and, and channel those drives to, a, uh, you know, with a, a way that, that makes sense so that the dog understands what's trying to be accomplished. Sure. And that's rarely the case, unfortunately. So uh, keeping that in mind is that now you, if, if your decoy is checking all of those boxes, then that decoy is, is going into it with the mentality of, I, I want to get this dog to want to let go because of what I'm going to give him afterwards. And so uh, very simply, it's, it's using the two drives, prey and defense, to, we'll call it two main drives because that's a, a podcast episode by itself yeah, if, yeah, if there are other drives or not or whatever. But uh, for the sake of, of brevity, we'll just say prey and defense, the two main drives. And the key thing to remember here is that prey, prey drive relieves stress, uh, defensiveness or defensive drive builds stress. And so when that dog comes in, the first thing I want to uh, ensure is that that dog is comfortable. So if he's growling and his hackles are up and he's yanking and typewritering around and, and giving off a lot of uh, nonverbal cues that he's not comfortable, I'm not going to put any more defensive pressure on yeah. him. Uh, you know, step one is, is I want uh, either neutrality to get him to settle down. Uh, and then once he does settle down, give him some prey movement to make him comfortable, confident, and relieve any of that stress. That has to be step one. Like in, until you've got that dog clear-headed, calm, comfortable, and, and confident in the bite, you've got no business doing anything other than just trying to get that sure. out of the dog. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and so that's step one. So now, now if we've accomplished that, then you're gonna you're gonna basically build on that and say, okay, the dog's comfortable. Now I'm gonna put a little bit of defensive pressure on him uh, using, you know, body language, using emotion, using presence, using, you know, physical touch, using eye contact, all of the things that are very predatorial in, in behavior and not prey oriented, which is another common mistake I see where guys are screaming and yelling and flailing around and throwing the dog up on their shoulder and, and doing all of these things that, that may look cool on Instagram and TikTok reels. Uh, but, but the reality of it is, is from a, a psychology and behavioral standpoint, those are more prey oriented behaviors than they are predatorial yeah, uh, behaviors. Yeah. And so, um, you know, if you think about any, any predator animal kingdom wise, what are they doing when they're stalking things or when they're attacking, they're not making noise, they're not wasting any movements. They're super efficient, uh, efficient, yeah. they're super calculated, strategic, deadly, and, and very pointed in, in all of their behavior. And so you need to mimic that. And make that understand that you're there for for ill intentions you'll see the response in the dog where uh the the, the nuance and, and the, the micro changes in behavior where now he's not as confident maybe he's a, a little 
um, unsure of himself or a little bit fearful and that pressure and that stress start to build and it gets to a point where now you don't want to put any more on the dog and then you you go neutral you don't put any more on but you don't take any more off yeah. and then now you wait for that dog to give you even the slightest micro forward aggressive movement whether it's you know wrapping a paw the, the slightest slightest countering in of, of the bite uh, you know any, anything that he does that set that communicates to you that he's taking the fight to you now you go wildly into into all prey movement and let the dog completely just dominate yeah, you yeah and so you, you're you're teaching that dog to be confident and, and that the harder he fights the more he wins yeah um and, and as soon as he stops coming forward then i stand back up and i start putting a little bit of pressure back on him if he responds with forward aggression it goes away so you just think of it like a light switch whereas when you're coming forward uh you know you're dominating me and, and i'm a gazelle in a lion's mouth when you're not, uh, you're going to get get some pressure put on you, and it's going to be uncomfortable. And so you're just conditioning the dog to come forward. That does two things. Number one, it makes it very clear-headed, uh, you know, both in training and in the real world. Where if you tell somebody to freeze up and they don't, and the dog keeps going, well, then then they deserve it. Yeah. Uh, you know, where whereas if you tell them to freeze up now, contextually the dog understands. Okay. Um, you know, the dog's or the, the prey object is, is freezing up or it's dead and, and now it's time to out. So you're, you're painting a, a clear picture, kind of a, a cue to set the dog up to let go. Uh, from there, um, you know, you're, you're essentially uh, taking the, the mentality as a decoy that, that I'm going to be as boring as possible and, and yeah. I want th the dog to be okay with letting go because I'm not doing any prey movements, I'm not putting any pressure on them, etc. Uh, one asterisk to throw in there is that uh in these first few sessions of of working with a dog i'm going to do an extended session where it's it, it may take 10 minutes 15 minutes a half hour an hour depending on how good a shape the dog is in and what the weather is like um, but I, I want that dog to be completely exhausted because when they're in the mentality of and this this is especially true for dogs that you know, have, have had several years of not being able to get them to out and, and yeah. really battling with the dog. Uh, so, you, you know, when they're in that mentality, their their mind is at a level 12 out of 10, and, and you really can't reach their mind other than with a ton of um, compulsion, yeah. uh, you know, or, or pressure or punishment or, or what have you, a lot of pain to make them understand and, and even realize what's going on. So that's not a good, good scenario. You're either going to make the dog quit uh, or, or you're going to be wearing the dog. You're going to create a, a lot of conflict, and, uh, and and in both of those scenarios, obviously, it's a lose lose. So, sure. Um, so with that, uh, the dog is exhausted. Now, here's where the handler uh, is going to play a big role, which is coming up and being calm, uh, which is rarely what you see. A lot of times, the guy comes up, especially in the real world, he's pissed because yep. the guy's been running from him for the last six miles or two yeah. hours or whatever. Yeah. And, and he, you know, he ran over an old lady or it's a, a, you know, a child rapist or something. And this guy is, is fucking angry. And so he comes up and he's screaming at the dog and he's yanking on him and, and whatever. And, and again, put yourself in the dog shoes. Like the dog's going to think that we're a team, you know, like when you're yelling and, and even if you're yelling out, your emotions don't reflect what you're asking of the dog. You know, and, and so you need to be really, really hyper aware of, of where you're at in your own mind as a handler to come up and be nice and calm, very gently straddle the dog, slowly pet him from the, you know, the top of his head uh, down to his shoulder blades, really, really calm, soft, and, and basically whisper to, to let go. 
you know, and, and very calmly do it. And if he doesn't, um, you know, I'll usually have the decoy keep going a little bit. And, and, and that's where the decoy having experience doing this plays sure. an enormous role. But um, I'll treat it almost like a, like an annoyance behavior. Whereas if, if I'm handling the dog, I'll come up and I'll, I'll just say, Los, you know, really nice and yeah. quiet. And if he doesn't, I'll say, ah, 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 Los, almost like it's you're inside the house and it's not a big deal. And it's, yeah. you know, uh, you know, something around the house that that's uh, irrelevant, basically. And, yeah. and you're treating it that same way where you're not making a huge deal out of it. Uh, and I've had enormous success in, in doing it that way. And now the second the dog, you'll, you'll, the decoy will feel, you know, a lightening up of the grip a little bit. Sometimes their jaw will quiver a little bit and they'll slowly let go. And the second that they're completely free of anything in their mouth, the decoy goes, yes, and, and feeds them a re yeah. You know, and, and then it starts all over. And, and so now now that the dog is, is exhausted and you've got him to, to let go verbally and calmly that way, uh, now you're going to get about 10, 15, 20 seconds of tons of prey movement from the decoy. And then you're going to go right back into being totally still and boring and, and asking him to out again, regrip. And, and then you want to get as many of those repetitions as you can. Usually it's, you know, 7 to 15, depending yeah. on, again, the weather and how exhausted the dog is. Um, then put the dog up and, and give him a couple days off and then go do that again. And that's the only type of bite work training you should be doing until you can get that clean verbal out is exactly how I just described yeah. it. And, and you want to do it every few days, not every day. Cause it's, it's a lot on a dog. Frankly, it's a lot on a decoy, especially yeah. if it's this time of year, uh, you know, where you live as an example, you may get a dog that'll last over an hour on one grip. Um, you know, to, to get him to that point where he, his, his head is even clear enough to sure. be able to be reached. But um, so then, you know, over the next few weeks, months, et cetera, depending on the, the strength of the dog and, and the competency of the decoy and, and the experience of the dog and all that, uh, you know, all those things play a role. And that, that's going to kind of determine how long it takes. Sometimes it's a few weeks, sometimes it's a few months. But it's really, really important to do every session that way and not do anything else so that you're not taking steps back while you're trying to take steps forward. And, you know, I've worked with uh, a lot of different dogs over the years of, of with departments that were like, you know, Hey, we've got two e-collars on them and, yeah. you know, we've tried cattle prods yeah. and, you know, everything else. And, and this dog just will not fucking let go. And it's like, well, again, think of it from his perspective is that like, if you're not communicating what you really want, like, yeah, you're saying we want you to let go, but you're not communicating uh, the, the full picture to yeah. the dog. Yeah. You know, and, and so he thinks because what what generally happens, at least again from the experience of working with a lot of different apartments, is you know send the dog in on somebody. He goes in eight seconds later, the handler comes running up and just screaming at the dog to let go. You know, and and you know, in that that backdrop of that context, like I, I'm not surprised that the dogs don't understand what's really being sure. asked of them. Like, you know, no different than any, any officer. Like if you go hands on with somebody on the street or, you know, anybody that's ever been in a street fight, like that first few seconds, unless you're a trained fighter that, that knows how to stay calm under pressure. And, and even then, like that first little bit, like you're, you're, you're not seeing everything around you. You know, you're not paying attention to the periphery. You're, you're not seeing the whole picture because the adrenaline's flowing testosterone and aggression is, is at a, a level 10 and, and it's difficult to, to reach their mind. Yeah. So, um, you know, you just have to keep all that in mind and not, uh, you know, not make, make those mistakes early on and, and stick to that protocol, be super consistent. And, and I've seen it work, uh, in, I mean, at this point, hundreds of cases, frankly, with, 
dogs over the years that, that I was told like this dog, like we've tried everything and he will not fucking let go other than choking him almost yeah. unconscious. Um, and usually you know, so, when, when they say we've tried everything, cause I, you know, do a lot of problem solving too. And usually everything is, um, it starts out with one level of compulsion and it has worked its way up to lots of different types of all compulsion. And they've kind of set the table that for the dog, that the fight's coming. And a lot of these dogs um, are genetically predisposed to give me all the pain you want. I'll take it. I'm I'm ready for it. So, well, yeah, I mean the, the bitch of it and the irony is, is that, you know, we're, we're testing, we're breeding, raising, training, testing, selecting, and evaluating dogs to have that exact thing. Like I want him to be tough. You know, I I don't want to just be able to grab his flank and twist it and he pops off because then anybody can do that to him, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's overwhelmingly about communication. And again, the analogy I, I, I can't stress enough is whether it's jujitsu or or take combatives, you know, at any training academy, whoever the guy is teaching combatives, like if you've got a guy who's, who's as competent as the guys he's teaching, you guys aren't going to get anywhere, you know, yeah. whoever you, you're, you're having teach how to fight needs to needs to understand every aspect of that game so well that he understands exactly where the dog is at at every second. Yeah. And, and ultimately, you know, where point A is and where point B is, i.e. where the dog needs to be. And he's the one taking him from zero to 100 that way that the decoy is absolutely the most important component to to the piece of that puzzle of getting a, a dog to, to let go. And, uh, and, and on that, the equipment, which any good decoy that does a lot of this already understands this, but I'll, uh, you know, reiterate it or, or point it out is that you, you want as thin of a suit as you can possibly yeah. stand, yeah. uh, for two reasons. One is that you need the feedback. You need to be able to know where that dog's mind is at and his, and his mouth and how he's using it is going to tell you a lot about where he's at. Number two uh, is that the dog needs to know where you're at in the suit so that, you know, on the street, if it's, you know, December in in Colorado and somebody's wearing a big puffy jacket or they're completely naked in a shower, um, you know, doesn't matter is that the dog is is bearing his molars and, and, and finding the guy in the suit and the guy in the suit is only rewarding grips where the dog is actually punishing him and not just suit material, you know, so... Uh, again, in any decoy that's on the level of being able to teach this at, at, at kind of the, the degree with which we're talking about already understands all of that and, and is applying that for those, you know, listening and selecting decoy or even trying to, to send decoys to training, et cetera. Uh, you know, that's a really important uh, component that I also see a lot of departments mess up. You know, they'll have yeah. these, this is not a knock on Ray Allen. I, I, lo- yeah. I love them as a company, but, you know, some of the, like the huge red yeah. on puffy suits, it's like, you know, astronaut get up or, you know, yeah. even 112, you know, 14 inch muzzle isn't touching the guy, yeah. uh, you know, in, in the bite suit, uh, that that's a problem. You know, that's yeah. where you get dogs that in the wintertime will grab a coat and just start tugging on it and, and sure. not hurting the guy. And that's, that's a liability. Yeah. yeah. And there's a couple of points that you made that I really like, and I'll start with one of them. I like, you know, when you talk about the, the decoy reacting to the dog and you didn't really say it, but I'm sure you and I are on the same page. I always uh, say that some of our dogs are just like us, and they're good government employees, and sometimes they'll do the minimum they need. So I think when you're teaching the beginning part of this, do you ever have a dog that you know, if, if he comes in and when you quit doing the prey movement and you want him to counter, 
do you get some dogs who then say, fine, I'm, I'm happy just hanging here. And yeah, absolutely. what will you do? Yeah, what, what do you do with those dogs? Those are the dogs I call government employees. It's like, I did what I yeah. did, do what I needed to do. And now I can screw off until I'm told to do something else. Yeah. So in that case, that's one of the few times that I, I do like and agree with using back a little bit of back pressure, uh, you know, just so that you're basically saying, Hey, if, if you just lay down and you're not being calm enough to, or you're not being active enough to, to stay engaged, you're going to lose it, you know, and, yeah. and whether that's, you know, ideally, I think it's better to back tie the dog to a fixed object so that there's no give and, and there's no chance for any handler error yeah. of letting them lunge forward or you yeah. know, or pulling back or whatever. That's a you know fixed static static deal. Um, yeah, just just enough back pressure to make them understand you're you're going to lose this if you don't start to engage. And and so you know, in in that case, you're conditioning them just like uh, you know b- before with the the coming forward yeah. and the countering in. And you know that that's a tactic too that there's a lot of I wouldn't say controversy, but maybe disagreement on what makes the most sense. You know, there's some handlers that say, well, I want, I want my dog to pull because, you know, we have, you know, let's say we're in a rural environment. There's a lot of, uh, you know, like most of our bites are in deep brush where yeah. we've got to drag the guy out and the dog's helping. And, and, you know, my response to that is I, I completely get that. I would still rather because of loose material, big jackets, mm-hmm. leather coats, shit that gets in the way, whatever blankets, yeah. a sleeping bag, you name it, is that I'd rather have that dog hunting with his mouth for for the person and, and going as forward as he can mm-hmm. and then dragging, you yeah. know, the, the dog back, even if it takes me and two other dudes to, to pull everybody out at the same time. I would far rather uh, prefer that scenario over a dog who's naturally grabbing and, and then moving backwards because basically wherever their mouth goes, uh, that's as far forward as it's ever going to be. You know, and if it's yeah. not far enough forward, then then you're not hurting the guy, and then now you're putting the dog in a dangerous spot. Where if he's just pulling on material, now the guy's got two free hands, and yeah, uh, and if he's got anything in his hands, he can use it as a weapon, et cetera. So, and I think it gives you a lot of mindset about the dog too. The dogs that, that only For want sure to do that does. frontal bite are are probably yeah. not the dogs that we want to work. Uh, no, I mean it's yeah, I mean it's a conditioning component, and and yeah, I mean I where the dog's mind at if, if he's hunting and pushing and driving and, and trying to dig as deep as he can is a very different mindset than just latching on and yeah. tugging backwards yeah. like it's two two opposite sides of the coin i agree and the other part that you they that you mentioned and, and kind of went into detail that i that i really like is is the calmness of it and uh, you know just like you when i'm problem solving usually and it's not even you know you gave the analogy of a street bite but a lot of times when guys, if they, if they want to work on a verbal release and they haven't had any luck, that before the dog comes out of the car, the guy starts talking about it. And you can see the handler is already has that stress. Like, you know, the, whatever, you're just some some dude from out of, out of state that's here and you don't know my dog and you don't know everything we've done and whatever you say isn't going to work. And you see the stress in the handler. And I always say it's kind of like, you know, there's, you know, any, any of us that are in a relationship, you could probably go home and say the, the wrong name in your sleep and the, and the fight's on. <laughs> so it's yeah. a lot of times Los becomes that name to that dog. And, and it's, it's a Bonnie situation then where the dog is like, I'm ready to fight yeah. and the handler's ready to fight. And it's there. So it starts. So I always will, will tell them, you know, just take a breath here before you get the dog out of the car, calm them down. And then a lot of times I'll see that same behavior in other other things. I, an example is I was I was doing an e-collar class and we were doing just some some 
big circles with decoys in the middle and one of the handler's dogs broke and he grabbed the dog by the nape of his neck and back on his ass and lifted him up slammed him onto the ground which was what he was taught to do he, he was told you know if that dog breaks make him pay so and then the dog stayed down but you could just see all the tension so I knew the dog would break again I went and I took his leash from him and I put his leash with two fingers really really light and when the dog started to break again I barely pulled the dog back laid him down and then all of a sudden the dog his head popped up his he kind of rolled sideways on his ass and and was very very relaxed without all that tension and had a much better down it was just an easy way to show him by putting all that stress and and anger into the dog he's going to respond back and when he finally calmed down it was funny that little thing that dog started releasing better once we started kind of going down that road and i i assume you see that a lot of times too when you're problem solving around the country yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, trying to be a mirror of, of what you want or demonstrating, you know, be be what you want out of the dog. If you want the dog calling, you need to be calling. You know, and, and so that that's one of the biggest problems I see is is both the emotion and, and the presence and, and the uh, kind of feeling that, that the handler is, is bringing to the table is 12 out of 10 and it's, you know, super ramped up and they're coming up and, and the dog feeds off of that and, it, you know, thinks that, hey, we're in this battle together. The other thing is, is what you touched on is the context of, of Los or, or that, that outing scenario. You, you see it many, many times where a handler, you know, is, is away. The dog's doing this bite work thing and, and he looks good, nice and confident and, and clear headed and everything. And then as soon as the handler even walks up to him and clips yep. the leash, now the dog's whining and pulling and swinging his ass around trying to get away from the handler. You know, and that that's textbook. Like you, you guys have a very conflicted relationship yeah. in the context of out in the dog. It should be the opposite of that. You know, when you walk up, that dog's tail should be wagging. He should be stoked that you're coming up and, and either helping him out, or in the in the context of the regrip, is that now the game is going to get uh, amped up even more. You know, and, and yeah. that's rarely the case. You know, yeah. so usually dogs' association with Los is the fight's coming. Like now, I'm battling Dad. You know, and, and, and that's their, their biggest association yep. with, with Los is I'm, I'm going to fight the handler now, you know, so. And, and they dig uh, it. Yeah. They dig it. It's a fight yeah. for them. Yeah. So. I mean, they, yeah, they, they love to, they love to battle it out with anybody, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's really a, a communication thing as with most things in life, um, you know, and, and that's where, where I see so many people struggle with getting that, that clean verbal out is just not understanding. Or if they do understand, not taking the time to implement all of those those methodologies yeah and and the final thing that, that i wanted to touch on that you mentioned several times you gave the, the analogy of if doing jujitsu with a black belt having having somebody who really sees the big picture of of the whole training concept and um, what i see and i imagine you see too is sometimes when you're traveling some of the training groups i deal with have become kind of insular and they only know what they know because they always train with one group and they don't go to the agency next door and not that that agency is any better it's just that they know something a little bit different than you do and i am a big advocate of trying to train with big groups and trying to go to seminars and and have people come into town just just to pick their brains and put a few more tools in your toolbox and i think that's kind of the same methodology you would use i mean you wouldn't always just have the same group always teaching the same thing i think if people are listening to this and and you can't clearly identify that the one guy in our group has been doing this for 25 years and he's seen 5,000 dogs 
if if you don't have that, and even if you have that, that dude probably is the guy who goes out and says, I want to go to another seminar and I want to see another 500 dogs and keep just trying to learn. But if you yeah. don't have that, you should probably start trying to search that out and, and find some people to, to train with. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, variety is the spice of life. And, uh, you know, like with most things, I would say get as much exposure and experience with as many different groups as you can. Take all of it with a grain of salt you yeah. know, and think through it objectively. Don't just, oh, we train with this this group and that's yeah. how they do it. That's how we're doing it now. I mean, like, yeah. you know, m- make it uh, a well rounding out of your perspective and training yeah. experience. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the, the more the merrier and, and, uh, and I agree. And see what they're doing too. If say we've, we've dug a verbal out, if you've been doing the same thing with your dog for a year now and you've got nowhere, obviously you need to change it up, go to someplace. And if they've got good, strong dogs and you like, and they're, they're the type of dogs that you're working, you like what they're doing and their dogs are, are showing, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to work towards, that's probably somebody you want to pick their brains with, you know, and, and start trying to. But don't just keep doing the same thing all the time and, and expect for it yeah. to, to work eventually. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as as simple and, and probably captain obvious as it seems, <laughs> you know, don't take advice from people who don't have where you're trying to get either. You yeah. know, like if, if some if somebody has their dog at a level where you're like, that's that's exactly what I want, how did you get there? Uh, just like with business or anything else, you know, it's like fi- find who's doing it uh, or who has done it uh, the way that, that you want it done and into the standard that you're trying to achieve and then ask them to help you and ask them how they got there and, and you know try to implement those same successful tactics i couldn't agree anymore so well i know you're busy and uh, I, uh, like i said i appreciate you taking the time between all your other 55 businesses that you got going on so <laughs> i appreciate appreciate you taking the time today uh, if people are listening i'll put your contact info in the show notes but uh what's the best way to get a hold of you yeah probably just on either email uh you know if you go to i mean if you just google my name mike Ritland, I, the different websites will come up just yeah. email any any one of those uh I, I would say stay away from social media as far as trying to dm on there i, I don't check them normally so. sure uh, yeah, just email in is, is really the best way to do it. Shoot you an email. Okay, and we'll put that. Uh, we'll put your website in the show notes so people can check out all the stuff you got going on. So, again, Mike, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, have a good Christmas. My pleasure. You too. Thank you.